Hey guys, welcome back to the Honor of Kings podcast. This is Lee, and this is part eight of our Identifying the False Prophet series. Um, this is Making Fire Come Down from Heaven. So up to this point, we have discussed the attributes of both beasts, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, and how they are alike. DC and Rome, how DC and uh, Rome look alike, how both had uh, great military power, and both had the ability to make and enforce laws. And how both will seek to deconstruct the sanctuary system and uh, so forth and so on. Um, the problem, however, is that while many actively worship the first beast's system, and that is the Roman church system, Catholicism, just as many or even more view this system as a heresy. They view that Roman system and uh, as a heresy, and of course, that's our American Protestantism. So how does the beast from the earth beguile this second group of people in its push to implement the image of the beast? How does this beast take a group of professing Christians in this fallen Protestantism, this apostate Protestantism that we have in this country, how do they get them to go ahead and, and veer or merge back into the original Roman system when all these people think that that is the corrupt system and they are in the good one, right? You see what I'm saying? They think that the Catholic system is corrupt, but theirs is good. So how do you get them jived back together in a way that they are wanting to do this stuff, right? Well, the answer comes from closely examining Revelation 13, verses 13 through 14. So we are going to have a quick word of prayer, and then we are going to get into our study. We're going to check out Revelation 13 to get the clues we need, and then we're going to move on to find out how this beast is going to do this. Bow your head, shall we? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you humbly today with your word in hand. We're here for a study. We're here to understand your prophecy, Father. And we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us, that it bless us, it bless the hearers, and it bless me, the speaker today. And Father, we are we are going to cover some insidious and wicked things that we find throughout your prophecies. Uh, Daniel, Zechariah, Revelation, um, they are talking about this insidious stuff that is going to happen in your church, Father. And so we are here to pull the scales off of some eyes to get some people to see what is going on, Father. And we just ask that you bless that endeavor, that you be with us, that you soften our hearts, you open our minds, you open our eyes, you open our hearts. You do all of these things, Father, so your glory will shine through and the word that you left us for our sanctification and for our protection, your word is working at its maximum efficiency, Father. That it is reaching the people that you want to hear. Even if only one person listens to this podcast, that it be that one person that will take something from this, that will hear this, that will take this out to the masses, that will that will do something great with it, whose mind will be reverted back to scripture who will focus on this and do great things for for your kingdom father and for your glory so we just thank you in the holy and mighty name of jesus amen okay 
So again, we have entitled this Making Fire Come Down from Heaven. So where did we get that title? We got that from Revelation 13. And so we're going to... We're going to key off of Revelation 13, verses 13 through 14. And Scripture says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now notice, this isn't part of the, the thing and isn't even in my notes, but in the sight of the beast. This means that both beasts are active simultaneously. And we talked about that. The first beast has been around for a long time. The second beast comes into existence after the 1260-day prophecy, which ends in 1798. The second beast rises to prominence at that point in time when the first beast is weakened the second beast rises to strength and continues to rise to strength which is of course the united states with its two lamb-like horns of civil liberty and religious liberty or its fallen protestantism and its republican form of government the united states rises after Yes, the Declaration of Independence is before that, but it's in 1798 that they are recognized by France as a sovereign nation, and then it gradually grows in strength and grows in power after that, right? So in the sight of the beast means that it is here at the same time as the other one. They are in an overlapping situation. So... It says he doeth great wonders, wonders or signs or miracles, and by these miracles this beast deceives. Okay? So he is going this beast is going to put forth miracles that will deceive the masses. So when we're asking how can one church system that views the other one as heretical join it or fuse together with it? Well, this is how. It's by a deception. And it's not going to be necessarily they know that they're driving together with it. Because remember, we're creating an image of, a, of the beast. It's going to accomplish the same things that the other beast did. But that doesn't mean that it has to be the exact same ways of accomplishing it. So while our fallen Protestantism will still be doing the same things that the beast from the sea was doing, they won't recognize that they are doing the same thing that the beast from the sea was doing. They won't recognize it. That's why it's a deceit. That's why it's a deception, right? So the fire from heaven, we're going to talk about that. Earlier in this series, we explained this verse using the two women's and the ephah from our Zechariah study. Zechariah had eight prophetic visions and that was church history visions. And the two women, or the two churches, because a woman in prophecy is a church. So the two women in the ephah were two churches. And that represents the Roman church system, who is the mother church. The Catholics call themselves the mother church. Um, and uh, Revelation says that she's the mother of harlots. 
right? So she's the mother of harlots. That means she has daughters who also fornicate against God. Who are those daughters? They are the Protestant churches. So those two churches are the Roman system and the American Protestant system. And in Zechariah, it said they had wind in their wings, uh, and their wings were those of a stork. So the wing, or the wind rather, is a ruach, or breath of life, or spirit. Um, now Leviticus 11 tells us that a stork is an unclean bird, right? So this spirit that's in these wings, it's in an unclean bird. This is a false spirit. Um, and also, we noted in Acts that fire is used to represent the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 2, 2, uh, Scripture says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. See, the wind connects there to the Zechariah thing. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Um, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we have fire being associated with the Holy Spirit. We also have the wind thing being associated. But it's important to note, just like when in, in Zechariah, this is a foul spirit because it's in the wings of a foul bird, uh, uh, unclean bird. Now, for some of you that are, you know, more studied or more familiar with your Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, um, when you see making fire come down from heaven, that might make you think of Elijah, the Tishbite. In uh, 2 Kings 1, we read, and this is verse 1, Then Moab rebelled against Israel and after the death of Ahab. That is... Jezebel's husband, by the way. We'll, I think we'll cover that here in a minute. Um, and Azahiah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick, and he sent messengers unto them and said, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Now, uh, Ahaziah is the king of Israel, was the uncle, whoops, he was the, I don't know, I, I, that's a bad note there. Um, he was the king of Israel, king of Judah, and he was the eighth king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Boy, my notes are, excuse me, I'm sorry everybody, my notes are all jacked up. Let me, let me start that over because I'm not going to, I'm not going to amend this. My notes, somehow I've got some cutting and pasting going on that's a problem. He was Israel's eighth king. King and the fact that he is in Samaria says this is Israel's eighth king, northern kingdom, not Judah. I'm not sure where that's at, but anyway, he was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. He reigned for two years, um, and being the son of Jezebel, you will recall that Revelation references her, um, and he does not turn to God when tr trouble strikes, but he turns to Beelzebub which is, of course, Baal, Baal. Um, and which, when you boil that down, when you get to the end of the thread on that, that's Nimrod, and we've talked about that a bunch already. Jezebel is cited in Revelation 2 um, in Jesus' remarks to Thyatira, which is the bloodless church. 
which also equals the fourth seal in Revelation 6, or the pale horse, the bloodless church. Now, we've already um, discussed this, you know, before, but just as a reminder, Jezebel is this church system, this Roman church system. The spirit of her is in the papacy and the, the pagan stuff and the secretly worshiping Beelzebub, which is, you know, Nimrod, which is Satan. <clears throat> She's doing that. And that's why Jesus refers us back to this Roman church system. But notice in that, in Revelation, it says of, of Jezebel, it says, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication. She's a prophetess. So keep this in mind. Um, this is a story we have false prophets and basically the type for the fallen and later fallen Roman Protestant systems. Jesus said over and over, there's going to be false teachers, false teachers, false teachers. And so she is, of course, a false teacher. And we have that here with this Roman system. So God sends Elijah to inform the king uh, he will not recover but surely die. And in route, Elijah is met with troops who would attempt to stop him. And the following happens. Um, it's, and this is verse 10 now. We're still in 2 Kings 1, verse 10. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now this happens multiple times in this story, but we're just trying to get the basis of the fire coming down, where you can look for that in the Bible and understand that because we are in Revelation 13, we're in a prophecy, that means we have in Revelation 13 an anti-type. We're looking for the type, the actual physical moment or history, actual occurrence of this phrase, the fire coming from heaven, and we come to Elijah. Um but this fire that he's bringing down is an offensive weapon. He is sending this down to take these men out. So how does any of this make any sense? Is the beast of the earth going to torch us all? Um, well, there's still another place to look for insight on this. And, we, and for that, we turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Scripture says in Luke 9, 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou, wilt thou that we command fire come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Elias is Elijah. Um, we're using King James scripture here. Um, but he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So by these examples, we see that calling down fire from heaven involves destroying men's life and uh, lives. And Jesus said, they know not which spirit they are operating in. So this spirit, the uh, beast from the earth is using, is a false spirit that will destroy men. And understand, again, the account in Acts 
and the one in 2 Kings are historical accounts, meaning they are the literal thing that happened. They are the type. Revelation 13 is the anti-type or the spiritual equivalent. So destroying life here in Revelation 13 or this calling down of fire is destroying your salvation. Okay? Uh, so this spirit deceives... As verse 14 says, it deceives people. So number one, that means it cannot be the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit cannot lie because he is God. Three separate but one. He is God. He cannot lie and he will not lie. <clears throat> so this deception then is the mechanism that is going to turn around and destroy people's lives. And we see how scripture, when you, you find a phrase, you have to go back and look and see what's going on. So this beast from the earth is going to destroy us by these false spirit miracles. Will destroy us. And destroy us means not being in the presence of God in eternity. Is what destroying us means there. So, we have to look around us to see where the false spirits are in action today. And this is where a lot of people start looking at the little small stuff and miss the big picture. The mechanism at play, though, is what we would call the hyper-charismatic movement, or the neo-charismatic movement. And some people refer to this as the third wave. And this is a Pentecostal charismatic kind of thing. They refer to where we are right now as the third wave. So the first wave, uh, as some historians call it, was undoubtedly an exciting time in the life of the church universal. These are, these are quotes. Marked by revivalists and revivals such as the Azusa Street Revival. It was a renewal movement within the Protestant Christianity that did away with cessationist idea that the Holy Spirit's gifts had disappeared from the church. Now, there are people that are going to say that, um, that these gifts being in full force and use were only during apostolic times. And so when you get into the Pentecostal and charismatic movements, they say you can use these all the time once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if we're being honest, I've been in there believing on some of that. But now I'm starting to question it now that I'm in all of this, this prophecy that we don't have these powers, coercing. We don't have them anyway. The Holy Spirit uses them through us. But I don't know that right now the Holy Spirit is actually using those through us. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not going off on the ledge on that. But um but it was this first wave that did away with the idea. At that time, people pretty much believed there was no such thing as people operating in the gifts of the Spirit currently. A lot of people believed in the last days that would be poured out upon us, but not here now. So then we get to the second wave, which is uh, charismatic evangelism, amassed a wide following and built on the Pentecostal doctrine with two major differences. Um, it did not major in speaking uh, speaking in tongues as evidence of being baptized by the Holy Spirit, um, but it did major in the spiritual gifts. So prophecy, healing, faith healing, 
miracles, discernment of spirits, and tongues. But they just didn't believe that there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was wave two. And then in uh, the third wave, we saw the power evangelists rise to fame. Billy Graham was probably the trailblazer in su- such a thing like this. But these these power evangelists, these worldwide phenomenon evangelists pop up in wave three. But as time marches on, it's the big ministries, the big churches like your Bethel, your Hillsong, your Elevation, the Todd Whites, the Heidi uh, Bakers, the um, Rick Warrens. It's all these great big guys that are ones toting the water and flying the flag these days. And this is where we start to see the rise of the so-called apostles and prophets are starting to happen now. That's in this um, neo-charismatic movement stuff. So some of the movements that are wrapped up in this are word of faith, and you can recognize them mostly by the, you know, send us all your money and you're going to get healed and huge blessings are coming, but they have a lot of other, you know, ideas going on in there. We have the New Apostolic Reformation, which is... A beyond horrific and disgusting uh, heretical group there. The emergent church, a purpose-driven church, and there are others. Many of these people involved, as well as the movements, tend to intermingle. They're under an umbrella. They might, on the surface level, on the face of it, they're part of two different systems, but you will see when you start seeing their sermons and, and watch them do messages, they inter-network. They're on each other's stages. You know, a lot of this stuff is going on. So these people are all in bed together and they have a common goal, even if the stated goal that you receive doesn't match. If you look on their websites and you see their stated goals for their ministries, they won't always match each other, but behind the scenes, they Um, So I've compiled a somewhat decent list. It's not exhaustive, but it's a a decent list of the common traits you will find among these different heretical agents, okay? And we're just going to run down through them. There are, it looks like 25 of them, I think. Many of them live lavish lifestyles. They have a lot of cash. And tied in with that, they are money bilkers. They're constantly asking for cash because they need a new jet. They need a new building. They're building a a new town in Uganda. Whatever it is, they're constantly after you for big dollars. Big dollars. Um, Their sermons and services are man and or cultural centered and influenced. They look like the world outside. They feel like the world outside. And everything is about you. It's not really about God, but it's deceptive. You can be in there, think you're worshiping about God. Subconsciously, it's about you. It's all very subtle. And I think we'll get into some of that later on here. Um, They play on your personal emotions over the reverence for God. They teach that we are little gods, that we ourselves are gods. Heresy. That's heresy. Um, That we are creators of our surroundings and circumstances. Heresy. They promote women pastors. Pastors are leading churches. Heresy. Uh, They affirm LGBTQ um, communities within the church 
and or are evasive in discussing it when asked about it. They'll, they'll either outright support it or just won't give you a no, won't give you a firm answer. They'll just dodge it. More heresy. They have personal face-to-face encounters with God in heaven. They have audible conversations with God on earth. Um, the covenant with Jesus Christ guarantees the believer healing, wealth, prosperity, great jobs, etc. Because since we signed on for the covenant, he now owes us this. Um, the more you sow, the more you reap. They claim to hold the office of prophet or apostle. Um, because God spoke everything into existence with his words, so can we. Like command storms to stop and uh, to stop COVID-19 and various other things. That's part of the little gods thing. They network together. We mentioned that. They are pumping ecumenicism and multiple ways to God. So all of our, all of our Christian groups should all be under the same roof regardless of what we believe. We should all be together. Heresy. Um, Jesus was the first to be born again, and he is just the first fruit. He's the first fruit because we came after him, evidently, in being born again, and we are little gods. So we are gods too. They claim fresh revelations from God, which supersede scripture. They target the youth, the desperate, and the poor. They twist uh, scripture to fit their story, their narrative, their version. And to do this, they use heretical Bible translations like the Message Bible, the Passion Bible, etc. They claim to be able to teach or instruct gifts of the Spirit. And that's not like what they are and what those can do, but how you can actually yourself claim these gifts and then do them. You know, apparently the Holy Spirit isn't needed. They can just teach you how to do it. And let's see, they prophesy and get it wrong. How many of you heard these people on TV? Donald Trump will win re-election. Nah, 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 nah. COVID-19 has been destroyed. It will never come back. Nah, 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 nah. Those are false prophets, folks. But they do. They prophesy and they get it wrong. They use terms like manifest, create, and experiential. Their overall teachings and practices will deter people from reading scripture. And their ministries become family callings. Their kids, their wives, whatever, become the next anointed apostles to lead the ministry. Not somebody that is called from some other state or some other city or some other church. Um, It'll be somebody in the family. Because the person that was leading it before, like a T.D. Jakes where he put his daughter in, he he will make them believe he is so anointed that so are his children. They are that anointed. Um, and of course, they need to keep their cash in the family. So surely there are more to this list than I have you know, put here, but you know, I think that's a good starting point. And um, of course, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> that's funny. You can laugh at that. Okay, so we'll move on. Um, I would say the most insidious branch of all of this is the NAR or the New Apostolic Reformation. 
This movement is believed by its followers to have begun in 1975 with a purported message from God delivered to evangelicals Lauren Cunningham and Bill Wright and Francis Schaeffer, ordering them to invade the seven spheres of society. Have you have you found seven spheres of society in your scripture? Because I haven't. But um, but God's ordering them to invade that now. The movement came into prominence after the 2013 publication of Lance Wallnow and Bill Johnson. You'll know him from Bethel, the Bethel Heresy. Um, their book, Invading Babylon, The Seven Mountain Mandate. Um, this mandate and the seven mountains are explained this way. Followers claim that the biblical base for the movement is derived from Revelation 17, verses 1 through 18, wherein, verse 9 reads, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, the seven areas which control the movement, believe, control society. Wait a minute. Huh? The seven areas which the movement, excuse me, believe uh, they can control society and which they seek to gather and gain this control are family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. Again, they this movement seeks to take full control, usurp the power of family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. We've been talking about this government thing for a while, and I know people don't believe this, New Apostolic Reformation, and their stated, their published Seven Mountain Mandate says that they are to take over government. And I know a bunch of you still don't believe me. They believe that their mission to take over the world is justified by Isaiah 2.2. And scripture says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. So, okay, who, who gets any of this seven mountain stuff out of that verse? Nobody, but let's go. As we noted before, they will twist scripture. So the, the seven heads now here is shown as seven mountains or religious systems. In reality are the seven pagan nations and or the religions of those nations because a mountain is a religious system. These pagan nations had their own gods. And back there, their government was of their gods. So the as they're transforming this verse to be the, the mountains part, right? That That's the religions. Um, and so the seven pagan nation religions are the from the fallen Western pagan Roman Empire, which are the seven nations out of the ten that acquiesced to the papacy, giving it its unlimited power. So this, these seven heads in Revelation do not in any way, shape, or form involve a mandate. It's a history. And it's a history that goes back to something else that happened previous because it's type and anti-type. Okay, so the seven heads in there are anti-type. You have to go back and find something that actually happened. It's the spirit of the thing. Um, to understand the Isaiah verse in our Zechariah study, we covered his eight visions. 
Um, and this Isaiah verse refers back, refers back to Zechariah 6.1. Scripture says, And I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. This language of chariots and mountains ties to the horsemen uh, and the seals in Revelation 6, the four horsemen. Again, this, this symbology stuff all matches up, but you have to be open-minded and look and see where these things are. So this is taking us back to Revelation 6, as much of Zechariah is. And thanks to our Revelation series, we understand the horsemen, and therefore we understand the chariots here are church eras in history the spirit of these church eras in history more specifically. And the brass of these two mountains in Zechariah, brass is something that is refined in fire to be pure. It indicates a Christ-likeness. So the mountains um, being religious systems, these are church, uh, Christ's beginning and ending churches because these chariots are in between the brass mountains. These two chariots that are still left there are in between those mountains. So those mountains are Christ's first apostolic church and his final remnant church, the saved, the saints, those that will reside with him forever, right? So that Isaiah ties to Zechariah, which ties to Revelation, and it teaches us what that's really saying. So um, nothing that they are saying in there actually makes any kind of sense, right? Um, and their problem here, of course, is that, you know, the, the this is all done by the second advent of Christ. This subduing the earth thing and all this stuff that they want to do, it only happens by the second advent of Jesus Christ, not by the efforts of so-called prophets and apostles who decided to take their own action in the stuff, right? So what you have to notice is this is a takeover plan. I've been saying this. This is a new apostolic reformation is a takeover plan. Previously, we mentioned that Donald Cyrus Trump loaded his administration with disciples of William or Bill W. Gothard Jr., the founder of the Institute and in Basic Life Principles. This is a cultic organization in the 19. And counting star from TLC, Jim Bob Duggar, was all wrapped up in it. Um, the This cult, this Christian group, which is a New Apostolic Reformation type of group, they not only trained up the youth to become politicians, but also formed a Hitler's youth-like training camp, like a, a kid's militia training camp. Um, so they were going to be able to take over politically and militarily. And so Bill Gothard, the founder of the Institute and Basic Life Principles, his big hook for all these men, because this is very oppressive to women in there, very oppressive to the women. And you have family members sexually molesting their own daughters and everybody else's daughter, all kinds of weird, you know, because anytime you get in one of these cults, it's always about sex. It always comes down to the guy leading the charge is doing whatever he wants to people, you know. And so, but the other men in these families were doing the same kind of stuff. But but his big hook was every, and he used a scripture, I forget which one, but 
Um, it was about a quiver, quiver full of arrows. Also misrepresented what the quote, what the score, uh, scripture meant. And like I said, I don't remember what the scripture was, but I have read it, and I know it does not have anything to do with this. But the quiver of uh, full arrows, every man should have it. And his teaching those arrows, these weapons that they can fire off at everybody else are the kids. Every man should have a quiver full of kids. Um, and he, because he wants to be able to flood the political space with specially trained and indoctrinated young people and use them militarily if necessary. That's why they're weapons, they're arrows. Um, so it's a, this is a takeover plan. Also, it fits exactly what the New Apostolic Reformation and the Seven Man, uh, Mountain Mandate wish to accomplish. Now, of course, the NR, the NAR is supportive of presidency of Donald J. Trump with his um, spiritual advisor, Paula White, huge heretic. Um, White claimed that Donald Trump will, quote, play a crucial role in Armageddon as the United States stands along Israel in the battle against Islam. False prophecy, that didn't happen. Uh, in 2020, Charlie Kirk said, finally, we have a president that understands the seven mountains of cultural influence during a speech at the Conservative Polit Political Action Conference. Um, so if Trump understands the seven mountains, then he's in on it. And notice, again, Paula White with her failed prophecy. That's one of the things on our one of our list items. Um, so we can see here, even with this, that this uh, New Apostolic Reformation is in Washington, D.C. already. They are already forming the base of people they need for the takeover of our legislation. It's there. It's, it's happening. And all these people think, oh, that modern-day Trump Cyrus is here uh, sent by God to bring America back to its greatness, its Christianity base. It's, you know, it was, it's, it's a humble Christian beginnings. This country was never Christian. There were pilgrims, and there were, there were some true Christian groups that came here but this country wasn't founded by nor uh, built by those people. It was built by deists and Gnostics and, and Freemasons, Rosicrucians. It was not built by Christians. So anyway, the long and the short of it is you're voting for them. You are voting for the people that are going to do this to you. And you're celebrating it when they win. Right. So I got an article excerpt here that comes from the New Republic. Now, apparently this is a progressive site. All I can tell you is the info matches what we've been saying here. And this article was found and added to this episode's transcript in the final read through before recording. So it did not influence the writing of any part of this. It was just simply added to support some of the points already discussed, but it does bring up a couple extra bullet points that I did not know. You know, so those are in here too. But <clears throat> the article goes on saying, now the new apostolic reformation is becoming increasingly influential within the Republican Party. And again, that's what we keep saying. It will be the Republicans that usher in political control for the beast from the earth. The article goes on to say, 
Pennsylvania Republican gubernatorial nominee Doug Mastriano might currently be the movement's best-known political proponent. A January 6th insurrectionist, that's cute. Um, And dude, it wasn't Antifa. It wasn't Black Lives Matter. It wasn't a it wasn't a conspiracy hoax. It wasn't Hillary Clinton's half-eaten babies from a pizza restaurant basement. That it wasn't a server, it wasn't an email, it had nothing to do with Joe Biden's son. These people stormed the United States Capitol in an act of rebellion. Whether you think the rebellion was warranted or not is different, but the fact is they stormed it. It was illegal. It was you know, them trying to usurp power by force in the United States government. So call it what it is. Stop letting Fox News and all these other people lead you into some other direction and make excuses for it. Because as Christians, there was nothing legit about that. There just wasn't. So anyway, back to it. Uh, Doug Mastriano, he is a January 6th insurrectionist. He has campaigned with Profit, there we go, that's one of our list items, Julie Green, who promotes conspiracies, including one rather grotesque story, grotesque story, alleging that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi regularly drinks children's blood. Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, I don't know. But these people will just go out on, some people will hear that story and just go off on a complete bent that just takes them all away from what the actual truth is, but I don't, let, don't let me get started on that. Let's back to the article. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves and his Secretary of State Michael Watson have attended prayer events with NAR figures, while Ron DeSantis, the Catholic Florida governor, has been employing rhetoric popular with the movement to put on the full armor of God. Now, again, I'm constantly saying that this phrase is being misused. Know what you're using the armor for. Stop acting like it's a Dungeons and Dragons dress rehearsal or a men's club or whatever. It's not. Understand what Ephesians is talking about with that armor and open up your eyes because you are not defending yourself with any of the armor If you are looking so hard to the left and so hard to the Democrats and so hard to all this stuff that's going on and not paying attention to the other side of that coin, which is the Republicans that are on the other side, that are knifing you in the back. They are plowing you with with dagger blows and you're not paying attention. So don't, don't start with the armor of Ephesians until you're ready to face the facts of where the enemy actually is, and it's inside your church. Now, um, the article goes on to say they're joined by a coterie of well-known political extremists aligning with these modern-day apostles. So now we have the apostles back to our list to subvert democratic rule, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, and Turning Point USA leader Charlie Cook. Wow, that little list of names sure sounds like MAGA, doesn't it? Make America great. And these people are knee-deep in this plan to take over. Now, I understand some of you think, 
some of you are on board, like, heck yeah, take it over. We need to take it over. We need to start over. But you know what? You don't know what you're asking for. You don't, you don't get it. Um, <clears throat> sure, they form the usual list of media tarts who regularly push the boundaries of anything offensive to liberal sensi sensibilities, but their relationship to the new apostolic reformation is no mere flirtation. Behind them, the leaders of this modern refor reformation are deadly serious. A quick scan of recent political violence is telling. Two of the most influential modern apostles, uh, Shay Ann and Lance Wallnow. Now you remember Lance Wallnow is involved in writing the Seven Mountain Mandate book with Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. So he's connected up in there with those churches. Uh, helped rile up crowds at pro-Trump, anti-democratic Jericho marches and prayer rallies before storming the Capitol on January 6th. This is not to say that the NAR influence is simply an expression of theological MAGA or Make America Great Again. There is a long history of entwinement with, Republican, with the Republican Party. Once mainstream figures like Sarah Palin and Rick Perry were signed up to churches <coughs> preaching this radical bet, excuse me, <coughs> on faith when they were running for the highest office in the land. Boy, I got something going on here. <clears throat> I'm sorry, that makes really good podcasting, doesn't it? So, <clears throat> notice in there, back to our list, that we have prophets and apostles, and DeSantis is a Catholic. I didn't even know that. So a Catholic is part of a Pentecostal Reformation movement. Well, of course... They have uh, a charismatic branch, too, in, the, in Catholicism, and our system is trying to mirror theirs so it makes sense, right? Remember, as it pertains to this image, we are in a type and anti-type territory, and our image will not necessarily look exactly like theirs. <clears throat> our customs and practices won't be the same, but the end results in terms of defiling the sanctuary furniture will be the same. Now, this movement holds a dominionism point of view. Dominionism is a group of Christian political ideologies that seek to institute a nation that is governed by Christians and based on their understandings of biblical law. Extensive rule and ways of, of acquiring governing authority are varied. The label is primarily applied to the groups of Christians in the United States, naturally, because we are the beast from the earth. Um, but they're Christian political ideologies. Prominent adherents of those ideologies include Calvinist Christian Reconstructionism, Charismatic and Pentecostal, uh, and New Apostolic Reformation. Most of the contemporary movements <clears throat> that are labeled, labeled Dominion Theology arose in the 70s from religious movements asserting aspects of Christian nationalism and Roman Catholic integralism. That one's hard for me to say. So we're back to tying in with the Catholics. Dominion theology is a reference to the King James Bible's rendering of Genesis 1.28, in which God grants humanity dominion over earth. Scripture says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So you see the thread, guys? These are Christian political advocates, activists even. <clears throat> They're going to take over, and that is when our persecution is going to happen. So the false wonder or sign that led to all of this is what? It's the Toronto 
blessing. Began the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church when pastors John and Carol Arnott were uh, reportedly inspired by revivals in South Africa and Argentina. Um, They invited a pastor, Randy Clark, a vineyard pastor from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, And he came in 1994 during this event, um, which is apparently considered to be an ongoing revival even today, even right now. Attendees were engaged in holy laughter, being slain in the spirit, supposed sensations of ecstasy, and many of them claimed that God had performed dental work on them during the service and gave them gold fillings. Hundreds of them said this. So my bula bula meter was already pegging at holy laughter, and now, but now everybody's getting gold fillings. Come on, man. But this event would springboard this neo-Gnostic style Pentecostalism, which would result in the rise of the new apostolic reformation. It would focus on a hyperinflation of the gifts of the Spirit, encounters with God, and a notion that apostles and prophets are now being unleashed to subdue the world. And all these people laughing uncontrollably, falling out, making crazy sounds like they're in a sexual climax, I'm sorry to be vulgar, etc. These people have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, they're filled with demons. And if you witness people in your hyper-charismatic church bouncing off walls, having uncontrolled movements, flopping on the floor like a fish, um, then you have witnessed the same things that happen in in Hinduism, tantric yoga, uh, Buddhist and African tribal uh, ceremonies and stuff. Um, It's this kundalini force that's coming out, the serpent force. uh, And these practices, you know, open you up to demonic activity. And sadly, our churches are starting to do it. So, here is where the false spirit comes into play again. The pastors claim to be apostles, apostles and prophets. They covet the rhema word. See, we have two words that mean the word of God, rhema and logos. Logos is God's written word, scripture, but rhema is God's spoken word. It's audible. These teachers will exalt the rhema word. Why? Because they claim God is moving in new ways and they are instruments he is using to do so. So he is giving them fresh manna, the fresh the, the fresh word from above, uh, how things should be, and it's their job to lead us to it. This is where they deconstruct the table of showbread. They don't want you reading the Bible. You don't need to because now God is saying something different. And if you did and read the part where Paul says that even if an angel or anybody else says something different what this gospel says, it's a heresy, um, you would, you would read that and you would know what they're promoting as false. <clears throat> By creating an image, they're doing exactly what the popes did in their day. and out, They outlawed the Bible with a law, which will probably happen eventually, but right now they're doing it in a different manner. So they're t- trying to take out the table of showbread. Um, they have corrupt Bibles like the Message and the Passion for those who still will end up reading, but these translations are specially written and they mirror the teachings of this new apostolic reformation. So it works out for them. Once they have you out of the Logos word, the written word, then they can start the manipulation. These churches will feature a lot of young, hip people on stage. Um, The pastors, even if they're a little older, will dress like younger people. They'll have their skinny jeans, their skateboarder shoes. 
Um, they'll create a super comfy, comfy environment with great seats, appealing colors, Starbucks, a Starbucks-like coffee bar, laser lights, huge LED monitors. Then the band comes out, lasers flashing, hip music pumping. <clears throat> the mood starts being set. All this seems like the world, you know, that they're, they're normal, they're used to. And that's because it is. It's copying the world. It's seeker-friendly. It makes it easy, fun, comfy to come into these churches, to pack them up. Um, and eventually it turns into a Taylor, Taylor Swift concert. And people are all in their emotions and they start on the stage talking about how the Holy Spirit is filling the place. People are now in a euphoric state believing the presence of the Holy Spirit is in there showing favor to this congregation because of how righteous it is. They're now primed to tie that sensation that they are feeling that's created by the music and the lights and the colors and the atmosphere. They're going to tie those sensations, believing it's the Holy Spirit just flowing and pouring out all over everything. They're going to tie that to the teachings that come out of the apostle or prophet's mouth on the stage. Why? Because they believe they just witnessed a move of the Spirit um, so the teaching must be anointed in the same way because after all, it's an apostle or a prophet that's on the stage. They almost certain, you'll almost certainly hear someone proclaiming this. I just love what God is doing in this church. It's doing amazing things in this church. Now the people are opened up even more and, um, the people will come next time because they think moves are happening. It's all happening here. They'll tell their friends and more people will come and more people come because there's big things happening in this church. Um, but the problem is if you're a baptized believer, the Holy Spirit is already there. In fact, he's everywhere. So the concept that a good hearty worship session draws him in is false to start with. But this is all a game. False teaching will not start to come out and the mechanism of growing their numbers uh for takeover is gaining more ground well i'm sorry the false te it's all a game with the music and all that stuff the false teachings will start coming out and the mechanism of growing their numbers for takeover is gaining more ground now let's just look at a few pastors uh with some of their quotes before we move on and we're going to run out of time. So some of these people in this arena, Kenneth Copeland, let's listen to some of the things. After all the pumping music and all the, all the feels are coming your way, all that stuff's going on, then you start hearing stuff like this from the stage. Kenneth Copeland, God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. He was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not subordinate to God even. That's Ken, this is Kenneth Copeland. Uh, in the Faith of Abraham, 1989. Um, and then he goes on to proclaim, you don't have a God in you, you are one. So Adam wasn't subordinate to God, he was equal to God. And you don't have God in you, you are a God, little gods. This is Kenneth Copeland. Um, little, the little gods thing is one of their tools you are divine yourself. This makes you a creator. Handy if you want to subdue the earth, huh? 
Um, this also destroys the altar of burnt sacrifice. If you are a god, you are not in need of a savior. Stephen Furtick, one of my favorite heretics that I know has got so many people wrapped up, of elevation, it's always been in you. There's nobody who can leave my life, who can keep God from keeping his commandment with or covenant with me. I'm not in covenant with a person. I'm not in covenant with a political party. I'm in covenant with God Almighty. I am God Almighty, he says after that. Stephen Furtick saying of himself, I am God Almighty. Benny Hinn, now we all know he's ridiculous, but you know there's millions that follow him. And he said, God came to earth and touched a piece, piece of dust and turned it into a God. Are you a child of God? Then, you are, then you're divine. Are you a child of God? Then you're not human. Again, he says, the new creation is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. The new man is after God, like God, God-like, complete in Jesus Christ. Then the new creation is just like God. May I say it like this? You are a little God on earth running around. He further said, the spirit man within me is a God-man. Say I'm born of heaven, God-man. I'm a God-man. I'm a sample of Jesus. I'm a super being. So after all the influences upon you, that's the kind of stuff people are saying. So other things that lead to the little God saying, Paula White, spiritual advisor to Donald modern-day Cyrus Trump, claims that Jesus was not the only begotten son of God. He was just a first fruit. The implication is that we are then just like him and in nature God's as well. She also claims to have seen heaven. Um, this is the part of the rhema word thing where they get the fresh manna and all that. So, And this is Paula White, and I quote, I literally went to the throne room of God, she said. There was a mist that was coming off the water, and I went to the throne of God, and I didn't see God's face clearly, but I saw the face of God. I knew it was the face of God. This is a lie, period. And, and, and stop, lie, heresy. Uh, but here we see the divine audience. They claim to be in heaven with God. Exodus 33.20 tells us, and he said, thou canst not See my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So many of these prosperity and word faithers, aside from Bill and Yuf Cash, will also claim to be in direct communication with God. We even have that uh, Jesse Duplantis out there claiming to ask God, uh, God ask him opinions for stuff. I got to hurry and run through this. Joyce Meyer, do you know something? The minute that blood sacrifice was accepted, Jesus was the first being to ever be born again. Jesus was born again, she says. You know why we are born again? Because we are sinners, and by Christ's blood covering our sin, we are, that's my note, um, we are covered by Christ's blood and made new, born again. But this pastor, saying that he was born again, is insinuating that Jesus was a sinner because you are born again to cleanse you of the sin. Paula White was insinuating that too with the first fruit thing. Um, Drew, do I got time for this? Um, okay, so tying us to Jesus in this way is either uh, their way of equating us to him or that we are gods. They also avoid talking about our sin and need of a savior. When sin is discussed, they say it like this. All, and this is Joyce Meyer. All I was ever taught 
to say was I was a poor, miserable sinner. I'm not poor, I'm not miserable, and I'm not a sinner. That is a lie from the pit of hell, she says. If that is what I were and I still was, then Jesus died in vain. I am going to tell you something, folks. I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head. I wasn't a sinner anymore. And the religious world thinks that is a heresy and they want to hang you for it. So here's another one, denying sin. But she's not a sinner because she's a little God. And I got 15 seconds. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode. There will be more to come shortly. Love you guys. Be blessed. Eight seconds to go. Take care, guys. See ya.